0: On April 13, 1846, the Pennsylvania Railroad was chartered with the hopes to initiate rail service between Harrisburg and Pittsburgh. By December of 1852, there was a rail system between Philadelphia and the Steel City. Later this would branch into the Columbus, Ohio area with panhandle shops all along the way. This had a major significance for the NFL, and it all revolved around a group of brothers. Welcome to the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. Your host is Arnie Chapman. Football is his passion, and he wants you to come along with him to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board his DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. This time as we step off the DeLorean, The date is October 3rd, 1920, and we are back at Triangle Park in Dayton, Ohio. Back to that first official NFL game between the Dayton Triangles and the Columbus Panhandles. Now, last week we covered Dayton Triangles and how they helped forge the beginning of the NFL. So now let's turn the tide. Let's talk about the Panhandles. It's their turn to rise to power. Well, it didn't really turn out that way at the beginning because the Panhandles were defeated in that first game, the first ever official NFL game of all time, the defeat goes to the Columbus Panhandles. They lost 14 to nothing. So, technically, I would say that they're the first losers. But according to Ricky Bobby, it doesn't matter because if you're not first, you're last, man. So, it does not matter when you lose. Unfortunately for them, this would be the beginning of the end. However, there's still a long storied history for the team that was known as the Columbus Panhandles. I mean, they were not always losers, though. So we'll take the DeLorean back to 1904. You and I just got out. We're sitting in the famous Marsetti's restaurant after a long day's work at the panhandle shops of the Pennsylvania Railroad. We had to clean off, of course, because I got all that soot and smoke and all these other kind of crap all over us from working hard in the engines. But we are sitting in a fine establishment, something that would become very famous in the future. A local legend, Marsetti's restaurant, we order a salad because in our current timeline in 2019, we know that this restaurant was shut down, but they still have famous and recognizable salad dressings that are still sold today. I mean, I tell you what, you go to your grocery store, you're probably going to see the Marsetti salad dressings. There's other types of products that they provide, but that's what they're most known for. I grab a Caesar salad because that's my jam. You go with the house salad. But we are just not feeling it. The same thing over and over. Working in the Columbus, panhandles, railroad shops, going to eat, hanging out, going to bed. We don't really have anything that's spicing up our lives, giving us something different to do. Then we see a dude over in the corner of the restaurant. His name is Joe Carr. We remember seeing him before when we were in the shops, the panhandle shops and working on the railroads and such. But we haven't seen him in a while because now he's a sports writer and a promoter. He recently founded a football team and they're called the Columbus Panhandles. Why, you say? Because they got their name from the panhandle shops. Most of the players on the team were from the railroad shops, the panhandle shops, the pumping engines of America. So we go over and talk to this guy because we want to see what do we got to do to join the team? We want to travel across the nation and play football. And better yet. We want to get paid for it. Now today, it would be much more difficult to try to work our way into a professional football team. Back then, not so the case. It wasn't like it was just a flip of the coin and you're in, but it was nowhere near the level of competition to get into an NFL team as it is today. Woo! Hold back. Skirt it back because 1904, there was no NFL. But there were still professional football teams out there. Well... It might not have gone exactly down that way. I'm sure it didn't. Joe didn't just have some sitting in a fancy restaurant, Marzetti's, and people come up to him and say, get out play on your football team. Because many of the workers probably didn't even go to this fancy restaurant in the middle of downtown Columbus, Ohio. Maybe they did. I don't know. But just like Teresa Marzetti, the one that founded this restaurant, she forged a path in America. As an immigrant to build an empire of a restaurant with a lasting legacy. And you can still see the salad bottle dressings on the shelves today. Kroger, Walmart, I don't know, wherever you shop. But the same held true for Joseph Francis Carr, because he helped build the NFL. But his ticket was not food in the bellies of the patrons, it was putting them in the seats, the bleachers of professional football games, a team that he purchased in 1904. And according to the Sports sportscyclopedia, the Columbus Panhandles were founded in 1901 as a club. Primarily, they were made up of Pennsylvania railroad workers on the panhandle section, you know. Like I said, thus named the Columbus Panhandles. Now, Chris Willis of NFL Films has a book about the history of the Columbus Panhandles, including another book about Joe Carr. And I'll go ahead and leave a link to those books for you and some of his other books in the show notes. Which, by the way, you can get to the show notes through your podcast player of choice or by heading to thefootballhistorydude.com. Again, that's thefootballhistorydude.com. Also, while you're at it, I ask that you please subscribe for free to the show by mashing that little subscribe button in your podcast player of choice. That way you get the hottest, freshest out-the-press episodes well, each and every week. But getting back down to the nitty-gritty of the Columbus Panhandles. At the beginning, this team was pretty successful. They were known as the toughest football team in the land, or some shape or form or another. But think about it. You're a group made up of a bunch of panhandle workers. I mean, these are some tough, gritty kind of individuals. And then, for fun, they want to run around and take each other's heads off. So that's a group I don't think that we want to mess with. And speaking of a group you don't want to mess with, there's a group of brothers that I alluded to at the beginning of the episode. They are, they were, the famous Nesser brothers. The Nesser brothers? What's that? Like, Nestle Crunch? No. They may not have been Nestle Crunch, as in the candy bar, but they Nestle be crunching you backside up all over the gridiron because you are not getting out of there. So these six brothers played on the same team. They played on the same professional football team together, the Columbus Panhandles. Talked about these in different episodes, especially the Joe Carr episode but the six brothers on the same team. I mean, think about that. That's crazy. I mean, six brothers alone, that's a pretty big family. But then for all of them to be athletic enough and to be able to be within an age gap to play on the same professional football team, totally different world, different era, different generation. And I get the descriptions of all these famous Nesser brothers from one of Chris Willis's books. It's called The Man Who Built the National Football League, Joe F. Carr. And here's a quote from his book to kind of give you an idea of the improbability of these six brothers coming together to play on one professional football team. And it goes as such Grandpa Nesser was about five feet seven, and Grandma was just over five feet tall. Who would have thought that these two German immigrants would raise six big, tall, talented, tough football players? Now, that comes from Irene Cassidy, the niece of the Nesser brothers. So, here we go. Let's get into. Quick little brief description of all of the Nesser brothers. Basically, the ones that built the Columbus Panhandles. Well, I mean, they didn't build it, but they were the foundation. Without the Nesser brothers, the Columbus Panhandles would never have been as popular of an attraction, and they would not have had the amount of success that they did. The first one is John Nesser. He stood 5 feet 11 inches and 195 pounds. He mostly played the quarterback, so pretty much kind of like the leader, but not today's quarterback. Don't think about You know, dropping back in the pocket, perusing the line, looking over where the receivers are throwing, and I'm going to toss that ball over that guy over there, number 81. That was not the case. Not 1904. Not the early 1900s. Not even your grandpa's grandpa's NFL. This was a different type of game. It would be easy to see the quarterback out there running the ball, blocking. I mean, not even getting the ball. Most of the time, not even passing and he was considered possibly the best overall athlete of the Nestor brothers. He won a medal for an all-around athlete of the Pennsylvania Railway System, and his nickname was The Wolf. He played 18 years until age 41. Age 41, back when football was tougher, really no pads, no helmets. Again, both ways, different type of game. His other brother, well, I guess the first brother we talk about that was not named John is Phil. Phil Nesser stood 6 feet, 225 pounds, mostly a tackle. Now, think about this, though. Back then, the size of the players was not nearly as large, so all of these players are considered pretty big. I mean, he was a bigger dude compared to his brothers, at least many of his brothers, and he would also play for 18 seasons. He only had four touchdowns, though, because most of the time, he's a lineman, but basically that means that he was possibly the most underrated player because he didn't really get all the flashiness but they said that he just would bulldoze the way. And on defense, he just, that's a tough dude. Don't want to go up against him. The next brother was Frank Nesser. Six feet, one inches, and 245 pounds. He played, well, I say only, but that's just because his other brothers, only 15 seasons, mostly at fullback. And in Willis's book, he said that he carried his weight with the grace of a ballet dancer. I mean, supposedly, he was one of the best punters to ever live. 70-yard punts were on the ridge. Jim Thorpe couldn't even keep up with him. We talked to before about how Jim Thorpe was just a massively gifted, talented individual. And we think about running the ball, but then there's tackling. Jim Thorpe was able to punt the ball with the best of them. But he could not keep up with Frank Nesser. The next guy was the biggest of them. Fred Nesser stood 6'5", 250 pounds. Only 14 seasons, mostly at tackle and end, of course, because that's big deal compared to back then in the early 1900s. But the thing that he actually was most known for was he was an accomplished boxer. In fact, he was a serious contender for Jess Willard's heavyweight crown before a wrist injury just kind of took him out of contention. And according to the Columbus newspaper, Fred revealed that his highest salary earned, from gate receipts that is, was in a season where he got $950. A whole season, think about that. A whole season, $950. Now, of course, the inflation rate and everything. But still, nowhere's near where it is today. But money wasn't the issue for this guy. Nor was it for the other brothers. They loved what they did. They loved to play football. And they actually, think about this. They got to play football with their other brothers. On the same team. I mean, that's pretty cool. And the next brother's name was Al Nesser. He stood 6 feet and 195 pounds. The youngest of the brothers. He played guard for eight seasons with the Panhandles. Because he was the youngest, though, he had the best NFL career. He played for a total of four teams. Two of those teams, he was on the championship in the NFL season because he, like I said, was the youngest and got to have a longer career when the NFL was alive. So in 1920, he was on the championship team, the Akron Pros. He also, in 1927, was on the Giants championship team, so he had the opportunity to be on two NFL championship teams within the first seven seasons. Not too shabby if you ask me. I mean, he mostly played without a helmet or shoulder pads, as many did back then. And he earned the name, the Iron Man of Football. And there was an article from Buffalo Evening News on November 20th, 1922, that kind of told you a story about how that team and how many teams in the NFL feared this individual, and it went as such. There may be better ends than Nesser, but none have appeared here. There may be better tackles than Nesser, but none have appeared here. But again, none have displayed their wares in Buffalo. The same holds for guards. Nesser was a team in himself, big, powerful and fast. He spoiled Buffalo's onslaughts time and again. So there you have it. They thought this dude was a team by himself. And then the final Nesser brother was Ted Nesser. He stood 5 feet, 10 inches, and 230 pounds. Even though Al was considered the best in the NFL, Ted was actually considered the greatest of the Nesser brothers, playing 17 seasons. But a lot of that wasn't with the NFL because of the age difference. He played all the positions at one point. He was great at all of them, but he was the best at the halfback. He was known for his breaking tackle ability, just this crazy, you know, Bouncing off of guys. I'm thinking Marshawn Lynch nowadays. Wait a second, not nowadays because the dude just retired. Come on, beast mode. But he has that vision and he had that power and that balance. I guess what I'm thinking is Alvin Kamara. Like almost the same size, I guess, because I mean, Kamara is not quite 230 pounds probably, but he just, it's insane how that dude just gets hit and it takes multiple people to bring him down, even though he looks smaller on the field than everybody else. I have A vision that that's what Ted Nesser was like. And there was an article from the Ohio State Journal on December seventh, 1917 from a Mr. Jim Thorpe. Yes, the great one. Jim Thorpe quoted as such. Ted was one of the greatest players of the pro game, and he was also known for being a bruiser. I mean, his daughter, Babe Sherman, had another quote that went as such. My dad had his nose broken at least eight times. Dr. Turner, the family doctor in Columbus, said there's no use to set it. I'm not going to set it anymore because you'll just break it again. After that, my dad would say he had a Newt Rockne's nose. Another thing about Ted Nesser was that he coached the team for 13 years, directing the practice, calling most of the plays, and overall just being the vocal leader of the team. I mean, a team. Six brothers. Same team. NFL 100 site states that the six brothers turned the panhandles into a major attraction with sellout crowds nearly everywhere they went. I mean, it's just a bunch of brothers having fun. Free trips on the railroad, probably going across the country as a family and getting paid to do it. I mean, not bad. I mean, they didn't get paid a lot, but they were doing something they loved. You not you're not going to see that anymore. That, it's just not going to happen in professional sports. Unless it's a professional sport that's coming up, you know, I guess ground roots, like eSports maybe comes to mind, something like that. You're just not going to have that many brothers on the same team, let alone even in the same league at the same time. But at the man, at the heart of all of it, going back, was Joe Carr. We covered him more in detail. I mean, I'm talking about way back in episode four. So you go ahead and listen to that one if you want to learn a little bit more about Mr. Joseph Francis of Carr. I mean, the Nesser brothers were a great story and one of the coolest stories you'll ever hear about the NFL and professional football. That many players from the same family playing on the same team at the same time. But Joe Carr still was the one that left the biggest impact on the league, often referred to as the father of professional football. He was the president for the NFL for 19 seasons from 1921 to 1939, and at the inaugural meeting of the NFL. Yes, that one that we keep talking about. Let's go ahead and say it. September 17th, 1920. The founding of the NFL. The birth of the NFL. And he was a founding father. Go ahead and put his face up on the founding father's Mount Rushmore, Mount NFL, back in Ohio. They ain't got no mountains. We'll figure it away. We'll put it somewhere on the streets. Because he should definitely be remembered. And he was remembered. 1963, Canton, Ohio. He was part of the inaugural 1963 Hall of Fame class for everything that he did for the league. But his biggest contributions were rigid enforcement of the rules, introduced standard players contract, and barred the use of collegiate players in the NFL. That comes straight from the Professional Football Hall of Fame website's bio on Joe Carr. But maybe one of the most infamous yet pivotal moments for what we now know is what happened in the NFL was under Joe Carr's watch. He was the one that actually kicked out the Green Bay Packers from the league for illegal use of players, college players, that is, back in 1921. He also would allow them back under new ownership. He turned it over to Curly Lambeau. And we know the rest of that story. So for the survival of the league, though, he knew the NFL had to get into more cities, the big cities, and he would talk these big money owners into buying teams in the league, pumping finances in the league to keep the blood flowing through the veins of the NFL so they could survive any downturns. So I would say that, yes, Joe Carr, a founding father, a Mount Rushmore style type of individual. And a side note about Carr, during his tenure in NFL, he also served as the executive in minor league baseball and professional basketball. I mean, that's crazy. You're leading as the president of the NFL, this newly founded league, and you're also an executive in minor league baseball team and also professional basketball league? I mean, come on, man. That is just stone cold crazy. But if you want to hear another crazy story about the Columbus Panhandles, who Joe Carr was involved with, the owner, the founder, Well, in 1922, the team was disbanded because they had problems with cost and salary demands. But the year before, Ted Nusser and his son made history. Ted's son, Charlie, he joined the team in 1921. This was the only time a father and son played on the same team in NFL history. History. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Football History Dude podcast and were able to gain some great iron knowledge nuggets about one of the original 14 teams of the NFL. If you like the show, I ask that you please share it with another football geek such as yourself by sending them to thefootballhistorydude.com. Now next week, we get to dive into another original NFL team. But for now, dudes, I'm through if you're through. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Football History Dude. Make sure you're the first to get the next episode. Please subscribe on your podcast player of choice and head on over to thefootballhistorydude.com for the show notes and more information on the history of the NFL. And remember, dudes, where we're going, we don't need roads.